yo, 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 yo. Peace, peace, peace to my people. It is such a beautiful, beautiful Saturday afternoon. Welcome to ADQ's Renaissance. I am your host with the most boast. Nothing but dope from east to the west coast. From the south, it's your boy, A-D-Q. Yo, we have incredible, 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 dope, dope program for you this afternoon. We do, we do, we do, we do, we have legendary status with us this afternoon. We have a powerhouse among powerhouses. We have Miss Angela Tripp Williams. Angela Williams Tripp, that is. Daggone, two last names. They be flipping, they be getting messed up. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> we have Miss Angie with us. I call her Miss Angie. She is like, she is one of my theater mothers. Um, she called, she fusses at me when I, when I need it. She calls me out when I need it. She threatens to beat me when I don't deserve it for uh, speaking the truth about her whack Dallas Cowboys. Um, she has been very, very instrumental in my artistic growth. Um, you know how I like to do, though. I like to begin every single word, every single program in the word. So let's go to uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 51, verses 4 six four through six listen to me my people hear me my notion my nation instruction will go out from me my justice will be come a light to the nations my righteousness draws near speedily my salvation is on the way and my arm will bring justice to the nations the islands will look to me and will halt will waltz rather for my and hope for my arm Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. And its inhabitants die like flies. My salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. His righteousness will never fail. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful stuff. Truthful stuff. Beautiful and truthful. You know what I'm saying? Everything eventually dies away. Dies out. Everything that we benefit from, live by, whatever here on earth, is very temporary. It's temporary and it'll die out eventually. Um, that's why we look upon, we look to the Lord, whose salvation is eternal. Like it is here now, it's forever. Nothing here on earth is forever. That's why I get from that. Um. Also, I told my homegirl I want to push her stuff, so that's what I'm doing. My homegirl and future guest <clears throat> here on ADQ's Renaissance, Miss Morgan Renee Myers. She has her own company. It is called It is called Moremi Creations. I think that's Moremi or Moremi. I don't know. But Moremi, Moremi Creations. Uh, M-O-R-E-M-Y Creations If you don't know where Moray Me came from I had asked myself and I realized Mo M-O Morgan Ray 
Renee, her middle name, R-E, my, the first two letters, first two letters of all three of her government names, that's like calling myself, <laughs> that's like me going by Ad-Di-Qua, 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 yeah, that sucks, anyway, yo, she got some dope stuff, man, black soap, we need black soap, you know what I'm saying, Ten, ten dollars a ten dollars for one lad for one pound, five dollars for half a pound. Fluoride free toothpaste, seven dollars. She got you for neem, mice walk, herbal, coracle, body burning oils, body burning oils. We all need to be oiled up every now and then. Five dollars for roll ones, ounces one through sixteen. One through sixteen ounces available. Black seed oil from $10 to $45. Yes, crochet earrings. $5 spirals to $5 spirals to $25 sunflowers. Outfits. She has outfits that go from $40 plus. Hit her up. She's on Instagram. Moray My M-O-R-E-M-Y Creations. Hit her up. She's on Instagram. She's on Facebook. She has all these products available to you. Now, another thing I want to read. Another thing I want to do for y'all is first of all, I wanted to tell y'all about Black Out Loud by Obasi Yahim Amari. Check that out. Check out that podcast. Obasi Yahim Amari. Black Out Loud podcast. You need to listen to it. If you're black, you need to listen to it. Now, check out this poem that I wrote. <clears throat> Yo. Knowledge of self is what I truly seek. Realign my mind from what they tried to do to me. Far along from what I used to be. I believe it is coming along beautifully. I say to the leaders, we are on one, we're on one accord. We're on one accord. Can't buy my soul. It was bought with a price you can't afford. It's a cute thing if I own my brand, but it's a better thing if we're only land. Changing our diets. I'm 34 and glowing, man. Chilling in spaces where I'm not supposed to stand, but we're building up the children we hold in hands. It's our job to educate them. We're the one. We're the ones who that made them. Not trying to subject them to a system that hates them. Can't allow them to try to float. They'll fall into those three strikes that Biden wrote. I'll say it again. They'll fall into those three strikes that Biden wrote. Joe Biden. Sleepy Joe. Um, so, uh, Democratic presidential nominee. Joe Biden. Yeah, he wrote those three strikes. Crown Hill. Educate yourselves. Knowledge of self. Knowledge of self. And this is why <clears throat> I am very excited to talk with our guest this afternoon, Miss uh, Angela Tripp Williams, because of Angela Williams Tripp. Angela Williams Tripp flows off the tongue better than Angela Tripp Williams. She might need to hear social services and change her name or something. I'm joking. But anyway, we've had some really dope conversations about knowledge of ourselves. And it's knowledge of ourselves that lead us into theater because that's who we are. Like, like if you like, if you look back at black history and stuff, we've always been creators. Oh yeah, we've always been creators, man. We the ones who created music, we created the arts. All that. That came from us. That came out of Africa. You know what I'm saying? So 
it's nothing for a black person, for someone who is for a, for some for African people to espouse some form of creativity. You know that 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 that's just what we do. That's what I do. That's what Miss Angie does. So we're gonna get into this interview, man. I've been looking forward to it all week. It's gonna be dope, super dope. You know what I'm saying? We talking about scrap metal. We talking about call clue. We talking about all of the dope things that she's done. We gonna get into them. Y'all stay tuned on this ADQ's Renaissance. Welcome back, my people. Welcome back to this episode of ADQ's Renaissance. Again, I am your host, Rapper Now, let's get into our guest. Young lady is a writer, actor, producer, actor of Scrap Mill Entertainment LLC. Which she owns with creative partner Harry Mubarak. I really hope I'm that. Mubarak. <laughs> Mubarak. She is a graduate of North Carolina Agriculture and Technical University, Aggie Pride, Pride. where she earned her bachelor's degree in political science with the minor of history. Don't y'all just love seeing an educated sister? Don't you just love it? Over the past 30 plus years, longer than I've been alive, she has starred in over 40 plus age productions and films and is still performing, directing, and writing to date. And teaching, definitely teaching. Currently, she is working as an instructor for mentally challenged adults at Gilford Technical Community College and for City Arts. Drama Center to the Arts at Call Clue Multicultural Center as a coordinator. What are her duties as the coordinator, you would ask? I tell you what her duties are. Number one, number one, keeping me on my keeping me on a straight and narrow. Number two, <laughs> create new play writers and direct plays in musical, musical. Our interview with Maestro M, with Maestro, with Maestro MCs last night. Musicals is no picnic. Huh. Anybody who's ever done a musical will tell you that musicals are no picnic. She uses her talents to help and mentor children in the triad community. It is a beautiful thing when you get to help and mentor children in the triad community. There are so many children out here who need an amen corner. Let me tell you a little something about an amen corner. Amen corner is the play into the scrap. You know what I'm saying? Like one day I was just chilling and all of a sudden I get a text saying, hey boo. I'm like, oh hey Miss Angie, how you doing? She said, hey, cool show. Like, sure. And next thing I know I'm, I'm brother boxer in the amen corner. I'm doing the thing all in play. But I'm not the only person who's almost any black artist here in the Piedmont Triad would tell you that this woman has played an integral part in their development of the artist. I've been in some dope by all uh, uh, Ron Lavender. 
Where did he get started with this woman? The lady, the young lady whose products that I read for y'all earlier. Where she probably, where she been honing her craft at with this woman? Cause she had two. Ladies and gentlemen, this point, this lady is a beacon to her community here in the Piedmont Triad. She is a gift to the world at large. Please welcome to 80 Cruise Renaissance, Queen Mother. I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. You're breaking up a little bit, um, but we're going to try to get through this. But um, yeah, this is me, Angela Williams Tripp. Yeah, um, a member of Scrap Metal Entertainment with my girl, Carrie Mubarak. Thank you for the shout out and the love, Adrian, um, for, you know, letting everybody know that I'm still here, still part of the community. Me and Miss Carrie, we still trying to give back, still trying to do, still trying to do those big things, just like everybody else, trying to keep it created. That is beautiful, you know. Now, that's beautiful, you know, um, and it's really beautiful right now because I feel like this. I feel like right now everybody's creative juices are just flowing all over the place. I would say so. Um, I would say that because you know people don't know what to do with themselves. You know, um, I went from having uh, three shows going on at the same time, two films to do, and a commercial to all of a sudden nothing. And that's not even counting mm. my two, and that's not even counting my two jobs. So you know, everybody is kind of a little scattered, um, you know. And I know some people don't know what to do with themselves. Some people can't even create right now because they can't even get the the flow that they need to create. And you know, not, and they probably beating up on themselves about not being productive. But I hope they're not doing that. Take the time, rest, all of this, because once it gets back up and running, we're gonna be up and running. <laughs> We are. We're not going to like. We're not going to like ease back into the kiddie pool theater. Now nah, we about to jump head for head first into the deep into yep. the deep side. Yeah, I, and I kind of feel like um, that with all aspects of you know entertainment and getting out because everybody's been shut down for so long that once we do have the opportunity to be able to get out, I think people are going to be so hungry for it that everything is going to get bombarded. So you know, so I hope people are you know, trying to do something, to have something ready and prepared. Um, you know, I'm trying to write as much as possible while I'm, I'm going through this with everybody else because, you know, I'm off from all of my jobs as well. I'm sitting at, you know, at the house as well, just doing essential, you know, ins and outs, you know. And how are you faring through all of this? I am faring quite beautifully because, <clears throat> excuse me, number one, I have been. I have found my inner introvert uh, through this uh, through this whole thing. Yeah, there's a part of me that's a little introverted as far as creative as far as creatively goes. I have like started writing a couple of plays, and like the creative juice were coming beautifully. And another thing that I thought about, another thing that I did, I was like, you know what? I've always thought about doing a podcast. What the heck? I'm gonna go ahead and do it. See how I many dope people I get on there. Well, I'm not. I'm, look, I'm not mad at you. You, you know, you got to stick your feet in different, you know, ponds sometimes to find out where you belong, where you sit. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing wrong with that. Um, um, and you know, my my grandma used to always say, "A sorry rat ain't got but one hole." You know, you got to have more than one way of, you know, more than one thing. You got to have more than one way out. Exactly, I agree because. 
one thing that I learned about one thing I learned about being um, being an artist, yeah, being an artist, that is that um, you can never be a one trick pony. Like nah. if you are artist, uh-uh. if you're a thespian, if you're a thespian on any level, it's great if you can act, great. But what if you what if a musical needs someone who looks just like you? Can you dance? Can you sing? Yeah, and you want to try to have all those attributes, and sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. But the thing about it is, is that you still should know at least the basics. You should be able to carry a tune. That means you can sing in the chorus. You can sing in the ensemble. You got to be able to move and not fall over your feet, and you can follow directions so that, you know, okay, I'm going to be in the background. I'm not going to be a major dancer, but when they get ready to do the group number, they can put me on the back row. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I'm going to ask you more about that follow directions in a minute because I'm going to ask you not only actress questions, but director questions. But I believe that in the great things that we all attain and aspire to do throughout this course of life, everything has a beginning. Everything has genesis. That's right. Where did it all begin for you? Well, um, actually for me, I stumbled across theater by accident. And I know that seems funny, you're like, accident? You know, of course, you know, in church growing up, you know, it was always part of the Christmas play and the and the Easter pageant, you know what I'm saying? Sang in the choir, you know, all that stuff. But of course, during my day and time, those things were not considered uh, entertainment. You, you know what I'm saying? That wasn't considered entertainment, right. it was worship. Um, but I, I was a teenage mom, I got pregnant early. And so after I had my baby, only thing I could do was stuff at school because I had to go to school come home take care of your baby you know it was that kind of situation so what really ended up happening was that when I went back to school all of the I know I know it seems weird when I say this but um, so I hope nobody takes offense all of the regular kids did not want to have anything to do with me because I had a baby. You know, so you, right. you know, because during those times, you, you know, you had a baby, the mama, you know, you know, your parents didn't want you hanging out with her because she might tell you how you got that baby, even though uh, I didn't get the baby by myself. So, you know, we all we were all knew how to get a baby. But anyway, uh, and that's why I come out and say, so I'm, you know, I hope I'm not offending anybody. But when I say uh, the regular people, and what that meant was during my day and time, when you became a teenage parent, you also became an adult. You were not allowed to be around the kids and you know things and that kind of nature and stuff anymore uh, because they didn't want you exposing the you know uh, the, you know to that. So because of that, so when I went back to school, because of that, of course I was ignored and ostracized, sitting on the outside, and I was like, you know, what am I gonna do? I gotta do something. You know, so um, I tried out for the flag team, made a flag team, but this was also during the time that my mom was also strung out, so she wouldn't buy the uniform, so I could be So, you know, it was all those kinds of things that was going on. And so um, I got my electives, and I didn't even choose them. It was just randomly chosen when I came back to school after I gave birth. Um, they gave me my electives, and one of my electives was a drama class. 
And I went, it was a drama class. I went in a drama class and I went in there and, you know, did what I was supposed to do, what they told me to do. And I was like, you know, this is fun. And, you know, I've always watched TV and, you know, and, and wanted to live like the people on TV, you know what I'm saying, and stuff like that. But I didn't really realize that that was really like a job, like acting was a job. You know what I'm saying? Didn't even know what it was called, you know, that kind of thing. You know, so right. so then all of a sudden, you know, these people who, you know, you know, they're acting weird, dressed weird, you know, <laughs> did things all differently, you know, they were, you know, like calling me over and wanted me to come and hang out and, and I, at first, you know, I was a little skeptical because I was like, why, you know, why do they want to be bothered with me? You know, and so this um, friend of mine, Shelby, Abigail, and Maria, Abashaparita, if y'all hear that anywhere, hit a girl up. But um, they, uh, they were a dance group. And they needed um, somebody else. Somebody had quit something, and they needed somebody to, um, to come in and to fill in. So I decided one day after school, I was just going to hang out and just check out and see what they were doing. And Abigail was the first big woman I ever seen move like that. That girl could go. Do you hear me? When I say she could dance, she could dance and do all kinds of things, right? So I watched right. them and I was like, well, I can dance. I said, and I mean, me and her, you know, we about the same size. I said, I can move. I said, you know, because of course I didn't want to be picked on, you know what I'm saying, fat girl out there, you know, looking crazy, and I'm like, and she ain't scared, I said, well, maybe I'll give it a shot, you know, and try it, so I decided to be in it with them, in the dance with them, and when I hit the stage, and the dance, and the stuff that happened, you know, it was, it was like, oh my God, and then I realized I had found my people. You know what I'm saying? I just didn't know where I fit in it, but I knew I had found my people and I was like, okay, you know, this is my crew right here. This is my people. And then as time went on, sure enough, I was correct. You know, that they were my people. We became a family and everything. Next thing I know, because I had a baby and world experience, so they thought, didn't he realize I was a country bumpkin, didn't halfway know nothing. <laughs> but 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 next thing you know, I was the mom of the group. You know, wow. right? So I was the mom of the group. But really, what they don't realize is that as much as that as that they took me in, you know, um, uh, they took uh, as I took them in. They really don't realize how much they took me in because I was ostracized, like I said, from the the popular people and all of that kind of stuff. You know, I was ostracized from them. You know, there was no being with them and hanging out with them and none of that kind of stuff. Oh, no. You was not going to be the prom queen, girly girl. No, ma'am. You know, that kind of thing. And then I found people who accepted me for who I was. And then at the same time, I also realized that this was where I was supposed to be. Because when I played that first character on stage by myself and got that applause, I was like, oh, yeah, this is it. Right here. Right here. More more. Well, you know what? I can actually, um, I can actually understand um, where you're coming from when you, when you say the regular people wouldn't deal with you and mm-hmm. stuff. Because 
<clears throat> see, you're from, see, you're pretty much part of the same generation as my mom. And my mom used to tell me about how people would pick on her and my aunts and my uncles and stuff because they are not the products. They are not children from a marriage. They are children from a um, extra, oh, yeah. extra marital. Yeah. yeah, they called it a little bit. They'll too. be like, oh, you're best. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they called it too. Yeah, those kids called it too. Yeah, they did. Yeah, but see, that's a regular thing today. But back in but back in yeah, y'all's time, that time, was that like, was, yeah, oh no, oh no, yes, yeah, mm -mm. that was frowned upon. And you know, I mean, and and don't get me and don't get me wrong, it wasn't everybody, you know, um, and and it wasn't always the holy rollers either, because you had folks who were not up in the church who was still just as critical about it, because somehow they made, it, they took it as that it made them higher than you, it made them feel more special because they were married when they had their kids, even though some of us know that there's been plenty of shotgun weddings that they call them in the country, where uh, 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 yeah, you were standing, you was already pregnant when you got married. <laughs> Right. right, you know. So that's what a shotgun wedding yes, is. Yes, boo boo. That's what a shotgun wedding is. Now you ain't come. Uh, uh the baby ain't gonna beat the the baby is not gonna beat the wedding service. Right, but wow. So, oh, go ahead. Go I'm sorry. Ahead. Go ahead. Ask your questions, baby, because you know I can talk. Well, that's great. So that's why that's why you're here. Um, so that's very important that you found that that you found your crowd. You know, it took me a long, long, long time to realize, yo, those, those weird artsy, fartsy weirdos yep, who, that, uh, sick, who, who keep to themselves. That's me. That's my that's my, my people right there. Right there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Them right there. Yeah. And we are special. So, and, you know, and I realized that, you know, as I've gotten older, that um, as artists, we are special. I don't care what it is. Musicians, writers, directors, actors, you know what I'm saying? All of us, painters, all of us, we beat to a different drum. And somehow or another, we figure out how to connect with each other. And at the same time, you still got musicians said. Girl, you know them damn actors is crazy. You know it's about 12 of them. And then you got actors saying, you know the music, chat, please don't say nothing about their music. You know, they sensitive. You, you know what I'm saying? But at the same time, that's yes. our community and we understand each other. So so with that dance, with that uh growing dance background and that love for you know performing from people. What led you to majoring in political science when you went to college? <laughs> well, first of all, um, at the time when I decided I was going back to college, I was on welfare. So my intentions was to go to college to have a degree so that I could be able to take care of my family and have a job. And because I had so many criminals in my family, I decided I was going to do law because I was sick and tired of the criminality. I wanted mm -hmm. to change the tone, change the figure. I did not want to be um, on the inner de uh, defendant. I wanted to be a DA. 
Um, and that's and that's because right. I saw how much my family members got hurt because of other family members committing crime. And it pissed me off because they were always there for them and looking out for them and helping them and all these kinds of things. And they kept right on dragging them down right along with them with their crap. Mm. So, and I didn't like it. And I felt like somebody needed to fight for the underdog, you know what I'm saying, and all that kind of stuff. And I've always been interested in history. And so once I got into college, I realized the two really basically lined up together because you got to understand history in, in order to understand how the law became and how it was made. So I minored in history so that I could have both. And then the next thing I know was that I realized that even though I wanted to do it, I was a paralegal for um, for a summer, and I realized that this that was not where my heart was set at, and it was also for the wrong reasons. You know, the reasons why I wanted to do it, I wanted to go ahead and fight this wrong that I thought had been done to my family, you know, the family members, who, you know, and all this stuff. And it wasn't because it was something that I truly, honestly, really wanted myself. I never knew what I wanted. And I didn't figure out what I wanted until after I finished. And so instead of going to Carolina and wasting that money and wasting a spot for another minority student, um, I, I just got my bachelor's, finished it up, and I started teaching. I was already at uh, Kalkwood. I was at Kalkwood before I even had a degree. I started Kalkwood down at the very bottom. <laughs> I started, yeah, I okay, started at okay, the bottom okay. at Kalkwood and worked my way up. I lasted everybody. Everybody that's there, I've been there longer than all of them. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about Call Clue. Now, for those of y'all who don't know, Call Clue. Call Clue Multicultural Center, 1700 Orchard Street, Greensboro, North Carolina, 27403, I think. No, 27405. Uh, six. I think so. Six. One, one of them. Don't start me lying. But now, but, um, Call Clue was... How did Call Clue come to... Well, um, Call Clue's been around for a while. It was a rec center. Um... Kalkul was here before I got here. I got here in 1996 at Kalkul. Kalkul had been around. It was a rec center, just like, you know, Warnersville or anywhere else. And um, I was I was um, looking for a job, but I had just moved to Greensboro. I was looking for a job and I, I didn't have a job. And so at first, I, wait a minute, I'm lying. Let me back up. Because at first I was working at a, a convenience store. Then when I started going to school, all that interfered with me being able to go to school. So I was trying to find something I could fit around my schedule at school, plus with the kids and what they were doing and all that. Um, what ended up happening was my daughter, joined We Are One. And We Are One was housed um, at Call Club. And it was ran by Deborah Scales. And um, so they was doing something one day and they needed some more people and needed some adults, you know, to come in and be a part of a show. And my daughter asked me if I would come help. She said, well, Mama, you used to do plays because I had stopped. 
I had stopped doing theater because I had kids, I had family, I had, you know, I was worried about that at that time. And so mm-hmm. I was like, okay, so we decided, you know, we're going to make this a mother-daughter project, that, 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 you know, kind of thing. So I went over to go to help out. And so as I was over there just helping out, volunteering with my daughter, uh, apparently somebody in the crowd, I'm thinking it was Deborah, uh, saw something in me. It was either her or Donna, because Donna Bradby was running the center at the time. And that's where I met uh, her and Mr. Shabby. Mr. Shabby was over there. She was running the program. And Deborah was over everybody. And um, they asked me, did I need a job? And I was like, yes, you know, and I did at the time. And they gave me a job um, that was perfect, fit with the schedule. You know, I could go to school, take care of the kids, still, you know, come over to the center. You know what I'm saying? You know, everything, it just worked out perfectly um, for that um, time frame for me while I was doing all of that. So while I was over at Call Clue, being a part of the We Are One program, coming in as an assistant to Miss Ashabi, and and um, and Miss um, Donna uh, Bradley come you know coming in up under them as I came in under them. That's when I that's when I began to hone my skills because I'm not um, I'm not a trained thespian. I learned all of my stuff from experience. Now I had been acting way before I met them. You know, in Raleigh at Theater in the Park, um, uh, Raleigh Little Theater. You know what I'm saying? You know, I, I had already, you know, done stuff. And once I started in high school, I didn't stop. I continued to go on. I took like maybe a four or five year hiatus when I started having kids. So, but when I got with them who had been professionally trained, well, they had been, um, they had been trained education wise. They had, you know, gone to college for it. So that way I was able to learn from the two of them and how to hone my skills and how to make myself better, how to be a better director, a better writer, a better, you know what I'm saying? So I learned all those things from them, from the basics. When I, you know, my first, I would say probably what, four or five years with them, you know, um, as we were building up the program. And then after a while, everybody kind of separated with separate ways. Mr. Chabi went off to go get her PhD. Ms. Donna went off to go get her um, her master's degree. You know, stuff turned around and, you know, we kind of slowed down. We were still doing We Are One, but not really. And I started working for GEDC because I need some more income, um, which that company is gone now. Sorry to hear. Um, it was a great nonprofit organization um, where I met Linwood Morris. Hey, bruh. Um, that's where I met him at, and Carrie Mubarak, as a matter of fact, because she came in and became our new boss, me and Linwood's new boss. Linwood was over me, and we were there, and we had after-school programs where we helped the kids with their homework, made sure they had something to eat, gave them activities, you know, had um, summer camp with them, you know, all that kind of stuff in all of the major um, uh, projects here. Um, he, we call them projects in Raleigh, which is what I, the word I'm more familiar with. Here in Greensboro, they call them homes. But um, And we was working with the kids and helping the kids out with those types of things. And it just got to the point one day where stuff just was kind of what do we do to keep the kids interested so they'll keep coming back, not just the homework? And when Kara came on board, she realized that every um, every tutor that she had had some type of background in theater. 
So she put us all together. Yeah. We started incorporating the arts with it, with the homework and all that stuff, so that we could keep them all together. And the next thing you know, you know, we started to reflourish the program. Um, until you know, other people came in, took over, changed things, and then you know, then the nonprofit itself went out of business. And just so happened the timing was perfect because my hours was picking back up at Cog Flu. There was a director's position there and Carrie was perfect for it. She came in and then me, her, Mr. Shabby and Mr. Linwood, we got together and we built up the We Are One program. Um, you know, with families, not just not just the kids coming in and doing stuff, but the kids and parents. Sometimes the kids brought the parents and sometimes it was the parents who brought the kids. And we built a great program. It took us about 10 years for us to build a full-fledged stage. You know, um, we took a, a basketball court and turned it into a black box theater under the leadership of Kara Mubart. It was, it was a, a great transformation. It's still rolling, still moving, still going. You know, and we're still growing. And, um, and hopefully it's just going to get, you know, bigger and better. You know, everything that we do, we try to make sure we're doing something to reach out to the community, which is why a lot of our pieces, our original pieces are community-based pieces where we're focusing on what is happening in the community. Breast cancer, uh, Black Lives Matter, you know, those types of things, honoring our um, ancestors. Those are the things that we try to focus on and giving new playwrights a chance to be seen, expressed, and heard through table reads and things of that nature. And people that don't know about like Pearl Clegg when we did Flying West, you know, those types of things. Like you said about, about Amen Corner. You know, we, we got a lot of young people who don't even know who James Baldwin is, you know. Well, you know what I'm saying? So all of those things are important for us so that we make sure that not only are we being creative, but we're also being part of the inclusion. Now, I want now I just want to say to the to the listening audience, um, here's what Call Club has done for me. Last year, I was in two incredible plays at Call Club. That is like the best stage to me in Greensboro to perform on. I did my play there, Time. Well, people love that space because it's not regulation size and you can do so much with it. And because of how we have our little panels and things for, you know, to make, um, for our, you know, so that we can have the walls that we need and the wings. See, it's very unique. It's very unique. And, and that's the thing that people love about this space. It's very unique, but it works. And like you said, you already know it works. That space works. Oh, it does. Like the acoustics yes, is does. perfect. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. But yeah, so, so, yeah, so I've been with City Arts forever. I have a mad love for City Arts and City of Greensboro, you know, and all the opportunities that they have allowed me to be able to grow into as well, you know, because shows that, you know, somebody else might not have given me a chance to direct, they have given to me and I've grown as a director with the help of that. I have directed a lot of classics because of that. And I really do appreciate that. And they are always right there to help out 
when if scrap metal got something going on and it's great and it's positive they are always right there ready to be partnership with us um you know so i really do appreciate that so i want to give them a shout out and they're doing everything in their power to to keep things moving and going so go check them out online because they do have virtual things that they have going on that they're trying to do as well to keep everybody from going nuts while we sit around here mm-hmm. waiting so so i'm gonna ask so i'm gonna ask you a difficult question okay a very all difficult right. question. Of all of the 40 plus productions that you have done over the years, I'm gonna need you to name like your top five, top five ones that were like game changers and like aha moments for you in those productions that you directed. Oh, that I directed, not that I was in. Oh, we're gonna get to uh, the ones that you were in in a okay, minute. But first, so I gotta know. Directing August Wilson. August Wilson, I don't care whichever one you want to pick, was August Wilson, and and then it was um, my musicals when I started doing musicals. Because when you said that earlier today about musicals being tough, musicals are tough. Yeah, and I've done they musicals, are. I've directed musicals with both adults and children. But yeah, but um, I would have to say, yeah, August Wilson would be, I would say, would be my most difficult but most learning and most impressionable for me would be August Wilson. Um, and like I say, any of the musicals that I've done, even the ones that I wrote myself, you know, because in your head, you got this picture how easy it's going to be. But <laughs> not necessarily so. But, um, but yeah, but, um, but that as well. Um, but yeah, I would say that though, that I, I can stop right there with the musicals. You know, I know a lot of people say, oh, directing children. Nope, children follow directions better than adults do. Yeah, they do. They do because a lot of adults are like, exactly. oh, I'm grown. You, got, you don't tell me what that. to do. Yeah, and that kind of attitude won't give you, won't have, you will not have a very long theater mm. career. And you know, I remember where we first, I remember when we first <laughs> met. It's funny that you said August Wilson. We first met when I auditioned for yes, Seven sir. Guitars. Unfortunately, I didn't get not. it. You was not but ready yet. That didn't stop me from that didn't stop me from doing what you I had sure to do. Now, now that I will give you, you did not. You kept right on. You did not give up. You did not stop trying. You did not stop learning. And that's the whole thing about this thing. I mean, I do too. I take classes myself. Don't I tell you that all the time? All the yes, time. Yes, you do. You still got to keep learning. You got to keep fresh. You got to keep your skills up. Yeah, and anybody, who think, and anybody who would think that they don't have to learn anything, that they don't, need any more training, well, that's where you're going to start yeah, to Yeah, because then you get too big-headed and the next thing you know, you don't jack stuff up because you think you know. Exactly. Now, I would ask you this. See, like I said, we're going to get, I'm going to get to your performing in a minute. But first, what is like your, your directorial technique? Because you mentioned having to deal with difficult people. I okay. had to deal with difficult people. All of us have had to deal with difficult people. Okay, so my thing is like this, okay? I'm an actor first before I'm a director, okay? 
So my thing is, first of all, I'm seeing the picture from the stage, from being on the stage, as well as when I get on the floor and I'm looking at it on the stage with how I want it to look. Because every director has their own vision. And that's what actors have to understand. It's not about what you want or what you think. It's the picture that's inside of the director's head. Okay. So here's the thing, though. Sometimes your actors can come and show you something or uh, or do something that you didn't even think about that's better. So I allow my actors to try things and to do things. And if I like it, I say, yes, let's keep it. If I don't, I say no. And we keep on moving. But at the end of the day, it's what I want. If you don't want to do it, then okay, fine. I will start searching for somebody else to do it. You know, um, sometimes you have to be direct. Uh, I've had directors to yell, scream at you, cuss at you, throw chairs, all kinds of stuff. I would never do anything stupid as that. Okay, if you don't push me to the point where you're making me cuss at you, it's time for everybody to go home and leave rehearsal. It's time for everybody to go home. Okay. Um, now, right. is there times when you have to pull your people to the side and you have to go and lay some stuff on the line for them and you have to be professional and be business and have to look what you doing, how you acting, all this stuff. You, you, yes, yes, you do. And I don't care what job that is. Your supervisor can't let you keep coming down the hall smacking this lady on the butt. She got to say something. You know what I'm saying? She can't, you know, your 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 um your your supervisor can't uh, keep getting complaints because you cussing out your students and don't do anything. Eventually, you gotta say something. I don't care where you at, what work you do, how old you get. Everybody got somebody to answer to and rules and regulations. You've agreed to it. You've agreed Absolutely. to these things. So I'm expecting for you to act a certain way and do a certain thing. Okay. Now, if you get to a point and you can't handle something, whatever, let me know. Let me know. Do sometimes you have to snap people, and snap them up? Yes, you do have to snap them up. But there's still a way that you can still snap them up without taking their dignity and their respect, but still letting them know that you mean business and you, you know, and here it is. And then sometimes people will push you to that point where you say, you know what, it's like this or not. You know, I remember, I remember the episode, the first time I ever seen Oprah show her butt on her show. She said, "On the name on the tag says the Oprah Winfrey show." She said, "This is my show. You can go." <laughs> okay, that was back in the day when there was such a thing as live for real. <laughs> right. Never saw it. Yeah, it was live, and you could call in and all that kind of stuff. But, but yeah, but so so I'm saying that to say, you know. Um, everybody got their own directing style. But do there become times when you have to crack that whip? Yes, it does. If you want your product to be finished and you want it to be good, because your name is on it. Because if you are the director and it is toe up from the flow up, they're going to talk about you first, like, Lord have mercy, what in the world was that vision? Then they're going to talk about your actors if your actors haven't done their job. Now, what can happen to you is that they hate the way you directed your show and say, Lord child, he better be glad he had her and her and her, but they say the show. 
See, that has happened too. Oh, trust me, because I've been in some bad shows. I've been in some bad shows. And oh, where folks have told me, girl, if you was not in that show, and not trying to get the big head or nothing, but I'm not taking nothing away from me either because um, I do know my craft. And any of y'all who know me and have seen me, you know what I do. Um, but at the same time, you know, you don't want nobody walking away and they're not talking about the whole show. All they're talking about is the one or two people that you had in the right place. You want it to be a whole show that they're talking about. You know what I'm saying? The whole show. You know, because even 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 like we were talking about call club, the lights are not the best lights in the world. But we make sure we have great lighting and sound people that come in there and make what we have work. Well, I will say that those lights work perfectly for my show and for the show that I did in December, Truman Capoli's Holiday Memories. Those lights, the, the and lights what, and work what perfectly happens with for both that, shows. You get the right opinion. people. Like Steve and Randy and Linwood to come down there and to set your stuff up so that your stuff can be just right because they know how to work that space, you be good. Be good. I would need a look, I would need a spotlight. <laughs> so if anybody want to donate, that's why. Hello. Donators, hit up, hit up and she will give you a contact. She will give you her contact information at the end of our interview. Now, now, so I get that directed style, and I've asked you for advice plenty of times. Miss Angie was an unofficial uh, consultant for my playtime because she gave me some great advice. Great advice that I'm definitely going to follow next time I put up a show. And there will be a next time the way people are showing me love for my show, for my play Battle of the Books. Definitely will be a next time. Now, I want to ask you, as we transition into acting, Miss Angie the Actress, at what point, so, okay, so your performance, your, your performance uh, life began with you dancing. When did you, when did you say, you know what, I'm going to act now, I'm going to act. Um, like, like, uh, like I and told you, um, and, and, and it's so funny because when I, like I said, when I was in high school and got with that group, that was a theater group. And like I said, the applause was the thing that made me like, I want to do this. And then I started to figure out, and, well, and then I started figuring I'm out gonna... that that's what they were doing on TV. Then it started making sense to me that these things went together. Because at first I didn't really, like I said, because like, a, you know, I was a little country girl. I didn't know what it, I didn't know that that's what being on TV was called acting. You know what I'm saying? I, I didn't know that. And I never thought about the entertainment world like that. You know, yeah, I watched Soul Train and, you know, and all that kind of stuff and wanted to be on TV, but I didn't really know what that meant or how to do it. You know what I'm saying? So, and with my grandmother being illiterate, um, that wasn't what she was thinking about. She was thinking about me being a, a, a nurse or a teacher, but yet she still didn't tell me that to be a nurse or a teacher, I had to go to college. I didn't know what college was. You know, it was that it was that kind of thing. So when I knew I wanted to do it, I just didn't know what it was that 
it was. What was that it that I wanted to do? I didn't know what it was. And um, so I just went from there and I just started that every chance I got, I had opportunity to be able to be in a show, I would go and I would be in a show. And I just kept doing it, just kept doing it, kept doing it. So when you started talking about influences, I didn't really have anybody that influenced me and made me want to do it or, or made me want to, to do it because, I, like I said, I really didn't understand what it was. And then Oprah came on TV and I saw a fat black woman on TV. That won't supposed to happen. You know, that won't mm-hmm. supposed to happen. I mean, eat. Right. Talk about when she. Talk no, about uh-uh. no, about talk show. Talk show was first. That wasn't supposed to happen. You know, okay. now in my life, you didn't see no. And she was kind of dark. You know what I'm saying? She won't, you know, high yellow. Everybody would be high yellow, you know, with the good hair and, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. So it didn't make sense. But then the more you listen to her, the more you talk, the more she talked, you realize that she was intelligent and she was smart and there was somebody that you could rally behind. So I was like, wow, if I could be on TV like her. And she brought on um, Jennifer Holliday. And now we're talking about Ooh, two fat right black women on TV. And she was singing, and I'm going to look. I'm like, what in the hell is going on? And they started talking about Broadway and all this. I'm like, what in the hell is Broadway? I had no clue. What is Broadway? You know, so by the time I could get myself back to school with the drama teacher to find out what all this stuff was, it was was really too late. Because guess what? I'm pregnant. School ain't letting me come back in. So that's, you know, so now, you know, now I'm going through all of that kind of stuff. So I still didn't have the full logistics of it. So, but I was still trying to figure it out, find out what it was and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't actually, it wasn't until, and I know it might seem really sad, but the truth of the matter of it is if my daughter had never asked me to do that mother-daughter project with her at Paul Clue, I would have never realized what it was I wanted to do and how to go about doing it. For real, for real. Well, and I was and I was one on one with a house full of children. Right. That was in high school and, and middle school and stuff, you know what I'm saying? All of that. I had no clue. So I learned everything that I could. I absorbed it like a sponge. And once I finished learning, then I put my own spin on it, like we all do when we learn something. You know, and I just been moving on from there. And I haven't stopped. I just have con- continued it and have not stopped from that point on. You know. So I would say that you I would say that you I would say that you definitely came a very, very long way. Um, so tell me this. Tell me this. 
top five favorite roles. I'm going to ask you that. Uh, what's your, uh, your my top Ray, five favorite roles? I would have to say, for some reason, I had become a a, a, a local Ma Rainey go-to for some reason. I played her in August Wilson on more than one occasion, and I played her in Heavenly Blues and Jumpin' Hash on more than one occasion. Um... So Ma Rainey, of course, is one of my roles. Uh, my roles in Color Girls, I have played both um, blue and green. Uh, my role in Raising in the Sun as Mama um, was very um, meaningful for me. Those, those are the roles that were like really those dramatic roles, you know, that I've done that people will know. Um, but some that they may not know is playing um, Nancine, the homeless woman, in our original piece um, that we created um, about breast cancer survivors. Nancine was a homeless woman out on the street and a woman in a homeless shelter who was there volunteering made her husband, who was a, was a cancer doctor, take care of Nancine. And Nancine was a crotchety old bitty and stuff. And um, but they came in and they took care of her and they saved her life, even though she still wouldn't come off the street, even though she could have. If if she wanted to, they was ready to put her up. But she didn't. But he was her doctor, you know. Um, and and um, that was one of those roles for me. Um the roles that we played in Black Lives um, Doesn't Matter, America's Dirty um, Dirty Laundry. Um, I was so proud of how Mr. Shabby set it up with the writings to make it articulate over the course of time from slavery up until this point of how we had been treated in every character that I played because I was somebody different each time because I was a, the slave woman that had to fight for her, fight to keep the master off of her and then I had to fight the master again as a slave woman to keep him from taking my child, our child. You know what I'm saying? Those kinds of things and you know, all the way up until the modern day and modern time. So those roles were very important to me because when when I was started, you know, most people don't even realize now that I'm really a comedic actress. I have great comedic timing. Um, I can make you laugh real funny. I'm very physical. I can fall and get up with the best of them. Yes, even at my size and bigger. But, uh, um, you know, I always have them, but I realized that I was getting stuck in the part where when I started coming to audition for serious things, people wouldn't give me a chance. Um, because they were so used to seeing me doing stuff funny. So those roles were the signature roles that helped bring me out so that everybody would know that I can do both. And don't sleep. Mama's an improv queen, boo-boo. Don't come for her if you ain't ready. <laughs> you're, you're not, improv you're not. queen, boo-boo. Improv Definitely queen. Thank I am not. Is it tell the people how important it is to be to be versed because in what it theater. does it helps you to think on your feet. If something major when you when you do in theater and something major yep. happens on stage that you can't fix and you can't change, you need to have improv skills so you're ready to fill that space and that time in until either the person gets there, the set gets changed, or whatever it is that need to happen need to happen. 
You got to know how to talk enough so you can get a person enough time to get back to where they're supposed to be or help them to get back where they're supposed to be. That's the thing about live theater. When it messes up, you got to be ready to, to fix it. It's not like film. Cut, stop, they give you a chance to shoot it again so you can get it perfect. You got to fix it then. You got to fix it mm. then. So that's why improv is so important. Improv is absolutely important. Absolutely. And shout out to Joey Brzezinski, who I learned all my improv skills from. Oh, yeah. And my teacher, my college teacher, Marshall Bobinick, who also taught me some improv. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Pollen. What is going on with my throat? That's that's probably it. That's probably it. Now, um, now the thing that you are doing that I love, the things you've done that I love, that <clears throat> excuse me. What I love is you. You say that you're like the Ma Rainey around here, and you are. You are the beacon of black theater here in Greensboro. People will say. People will say that nah, that's uh, that's that's A and T. No, it's not, because because you have to be a student at A and T in order to um, reap the full rewards of their theater department. You don't have to be. I mean, it helps if you are a subscriber or a member of Scrap Metal. But even if you're not, even if you're just easing your way into them, and you're a black and you're a black actor. Y'all will still take good care of you. Y'all will still take good care of us. Um, how does scrap? How does scrap Well, like start? I said, we um we once we started doing what we were doing at Coughlin, we realized that we wanted to do it on our own, so that we could do what it was that we actually wanted to do or how we wanted to do. Because you know, um, I mean, it's still my job. I can't be getting fired. You know, so <laughs> me my job. So we wanted to be able to do stuff that um, that the the city might not approve of. You know, those types of things, and being able to go forth and touching those community things that we needed to talk about that the city may not want it to be behind. Um, you know, that kind of um, kind of thing, but. We, we grew together into this because we wanted to make a difference into the community. And that's how it came about. We wanted to be a conglomerate where all the artists could come together and we could all be a collective and we could all work together to produce whatever it was that we wanted to produce together and everybody would just have been you know under the umbrella of scrap metal but we all would have gotten a chance and opportunity to be able to produce and to be able to create. Gotcha, gotcha. Because, because I know that uh, my time, I know that my time, whenever our theatrical um, paths have crossed, it's helped me grow. It's helped me grow as an actor. Because, spoiler alert, I did not, uh, I did not, I did not initially learn theater from black people. I learned from white people. No matter who you know learn saying? from. So, I did not true but a friend of mine once said that a friend of mine once said as he was uh majoring in theater over at a t they would treat you they 
at A&T, they will teach you the black way of acting, acting like a, uh, not not acting like a black person, but more like a black centered approach. Um, Does that make sense? I don't know about that now, because while I was over at A&T, I did some shows with A&T and, and took a couple of theater classes just to, you know, to do, you know, just to do, to have, so I could have information. I wouldn't say that. Um... But um, I mean, but culturally speaking, um, we always do stuff a little bit different from the way that they do. But A&T is just like, you know, scrap metal and city arts. We're all inclusive. We don't try to keep anybody out or not let anybody participate. Now, you, but you do have to understand that A&T is an educational institution, just like UNCG. They don't let any and everybody just come in and do no show with them. And they're more and they're more focused on the white shows and not the mm. black shows. You know what I'm saying? It it just culturally speaking, these are the types of things that have always happened, which is why you have HBCUs. Get it? <laughs> okay, you know what I'm saying? That's the reason why. So that we can focus on it our right. way and do it realistically, you know, a way that we would do it and not stepping and fetching and shucking and jiving. You know what I mean? Um, where right where we go in and where we act right, really acting right. how we actually would act, you know, um, and not putting on this, you know, ham show instead of going in there and really going in and acting. Um, and that and and that's that's like I said, that's the reason why come we have uh, HBCUs is because we had to go someplace where we could go and do our own thing and do it for real like how we would do it not how y'all perceive how we do it you know that kind of thing but this day and age all that stuff it's time for all of that to come to a halt and a stop i don't even understand why we just having a conversation you know what i'm saying because we're all people we're all from the human race and we should just know that there's some things different about us just like there's some things different about everybody else around the world you know we have different things and different ways of presenting things and the thing of it is, is just to be um, inclusive. Let everybody get their little piece of sunshine. Don't block mine. They ain't going to block yours. You know, that kind of thing. But we would like to be portrayed realistically. You know, don't nobody want to be portrayed, uh, betrayed falsely. You know what I'm saying? Just like everybody white is not prejudiced. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, that's, that's what I'm saying. We need to find a good, happy medium, a good, nice balance so that this world can come together peacefully. I agree. I agree. I agree. Um, I will, I will tell a quick story. Like I remember when we were doing, when we were doing, um, the amen corner, two things stayed in my mind the entire time. Three things, actually three things. Number one, I want to make a good impression so they'll use me again. So I'm going to make sure to smash this brother boxer roll. I don't care if I'm only doing two two shows. I'm going to kill this brother boxer roll. Number two, oh, snap. You were so happy about it. Miss Angie. <laughs> oh, this is going to I sure was. I was, I was like, oh, I'm going to give up and I'm going to take full advantage of this. But the main thing that went through my mind was out of all other out of all other black actors in this area what made Miss Angie hit me up 
like I know me and Tony shout Tony Bradley. I know we're the same age. Why we started this? That but, Carrie and I started this was so that people who wanted to come in and who really wanted to learn, who wanted to do it, would have some place to do it. It didn't have nothing to do with how great you were. It was were you willing to come in and learn? Were you willing to come in and test and try? You know, we tried for a long time, but we could never get it done. So that we could have two sections. That okay, when you you got to do this part first and get your training in before you can come to the main stage, but you still was gonna get a chance to act and be on the floor, you know. But we couldn't, and it ended up everybody was doing what we call on-the-job training. You were learning right then and there because the main stage was happening, and we was making it happen. We was making it work. The people who we don't work with anymore are people who done gone on and chose that they decided not to do theater anymore and they've gone on to whatever it is that they went to school for and that kind of stuff because I I can't say that there's anybody that we've ever worked with that we would not ever work with again nobody nobody and that's from the kids on up to the adults and some of the, and some of the kids now are adults yeah, so, um, you know, because we don't do it because we are community-based. This is about the community. Because sometimes the people who come to us, they're not coming to us because they want to be stars and be on the big screen. Sometimes they're coming to us because they got uh, PTSD. And this helps relieve that. That depression. It helps them forget about whatever it is that they're going through or what's going on with them. That they want to be anywhere but at home and they ain't got nowhere to go but now they got an excuse because so now they can get up out of here. See, theater, art, you know, all those things, it's just like football or anything else. Those things make a difference in people's lives. Sometimes it changes their lives. Sometimes it saves their lives. You know, don't get me wrong, because we know God Almighty got everything covered. You know what I'm saying? But he has given us these gifts and these talents so that we can have these things to help provide to these people when they come for us and they need it. You know what I'm saying? Because sometimes, you know, as I will say, sometimes it ain't about play acting. Sometimes it's about what that person that came through the door, what they needed. You know, Miss Tamika, you know, oh my gosh, she came and she told me, she said, Miss Angie, she said, I sent this lady over there to you. She going to come and see you. I said, okay. Uh, she said, well, I don't know whether or not what kind of actor she going to be or whatever or what kind of help she going to be. She said, but all I know is that she need to be around you and Miss Carrie. And I was like, and I was like, send you mm-hmm. know, send her on because well, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Because you know, she was, she was, you know, letting me know this woman may not have no interest in theater at all, but she need to be around women like you. You know, that means something. Yeah. One thing that happened. No, I mean, oh, I'm, I'm just saying that it means something. That is. Powerful. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You know that the Lord has blessed us to be able to connect with people that way.
one thing that I have found theater to be is, you know, the the the, the central the central reason for it all is people people coming together collectively putting together um, art and presenting in front of an audience. <laughs> but is. there's more that goes into theater. Um, I was once in, when I was in Godspell, Brian Conger said this. Theater and church are very, very similar because it's a collection of people. Um, it's going to oh, modify man. one's worldview in one way or another, and they all have a common. So, so yeah, it sure and are very similar it in sure that in, in that respect to many others. It most certainly is. And it's what. Nah, cause you don't want it's me funny to cut you. football, but we're not going to talk about football right now. <laughs> you don't want me to cut you. You can't cut me to the phone. <laughs> you can't cut me through, like I said. You can't cut me to the phone. <laughs> I told you I was going to threaten to cut me. So, oh, I got I got ask this: Where did the name Scrap Mill come from? I gotta know that. Actually, go ahead. Let the cat out the bag. Carrie came up with the name Scrap Metal, um, and you know, and it has to do with her father. And I don't want to get the information incorrect, so I'm not gonna speak totally and completely um, on uh, how she came up with it. But I know it has something to do with her father, Mr. Frank. May he rest in peace. Um, but. For me, when I heard the name, I didn't even second guess it being the name. Because when I saw it, I, it always made me think about my grandmama saying, you know, what kind of metal you got in you? You know, basically what she was asking you was what kind of backbone you got? You know, so when I saw scrap metal, when Carrie showed it to me, I saw scrap metal, mm -hmm. I felt like what we were doing were taking scraps and making beautiful pieces of art. And we, and yeah, and we were doing it, and, and we was doing it by the strength of our backs. By the strength of our backs, we were taking scraps and making beautiful art, creating beautiful artists, teaching and exploring and learning together with the community as well as. Right. Well, you have you have very much you have very much done that because um, what I've seen from Scrap Mill, you know, I've just seen beauty. I've seen beautiful, creative art. And you know, you know, not everybody who does community theater because aspires to go for to release. Be an oh, actor. Yeah, that's right. Ain't nothing wrong with that. For release. Bro. Keep on because because people like us, we need y'all to come around. <laughs> y'all can help us out because we need this too. <laughs> Exactly. Now I'm going to ask another question. See, I'm going to ask you about this. Uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you about individual. Now, for those who are wondering about the whole scrap metal process, I want you. To, I want you to stop and remember this name, Tony Browley. Tony Browley. Say what? First, be, first, first start, start with scrap, with scrap metal. metal? I, is that correct? Yes. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, he did. Yes, ma'am. Okay. How did y'all, how did y'all you know groom Tony I, you know what? to this be the incredible actor that he is today? Tony heard me, because Tony and I work at the same place. We work in different departments, but work in the same place. And we were both in the employee break room. And he was hearing me talk to somebody about acting. That show was coming up that I was going to do. And he said, I can do that. I said, just because you say you can do it, don't mean you can do it. I know I can do it. I know I can. I said, and what that's supposed to mean? Tell me when next time you have an audition. I'm coming. I know I can do that. I can do that. And the next audition, Tony Browler showed up. Tony Browler said, what did I do wrong? He wanted to know everything he did wrong, what he did right, all of this. And really, he literally went in to perfect everything. It was, what I think happened for him was that once he realized that I knew what I was doing and Miss Carrie knew what she was doing, it was a done deal. All he wanted us to do was tell him what he needed to do. And that's what he did. He worked on everything. You know, he had his moments. You know, I had them. You, you can't worry about trying to be like this actor, that actor. Everybody got their own thing. You know, there's certain basic skills you got to learn and do and this kind of stuff. And then you make it your own. But that's really it. He went in and he put the work in. He put the work in. Tony put the work in. He put the work in. He didn't have no problem with listening. He didn't have no problem with being criticized. He really wanted to know because he really wanted to be better. You got to listen. Keywords there. Yeah, I don't listen, know everything, you have to work. but if you let me, I'll teach you what I know. And that will help anybody who listen know a whole, whole lot more. Um, so, Miss Angie, um, I got to ask you. Let's paint like a fictional world right now, right? A fictional world that will become a real world in due time. The corona, this coronavirus is over. Mm-hmm. The world's back to operating as uh, back to normal, right? What would, oh, well, what would your future hey, plans be? Look, my future plans is to keep living, keep loving, keep giving, keep creating. Period. You know what I'm saying? I'm grateful to have my family. So many people have lost their family members and stuff to, you know, to this craziness that's going on out here. Um, you know, people lost their jobs. They're, you know, they, they're afraid of losing their homes and all these kinds of things. In the big scheme of things right now, I say stay prayed up. Keep the Lord on your side and just keep on moving. Don't let nothing stop you from keeping on going. Because one thing about God's people is that we're resilient. We don't quit. We don't lay down. Some of us may have to go down. But the rest of us that are up, we keep stepping and we keep stepping up and we don't give up. That's why I keep telling everybody, stay prayed up. Stay prayed up. Stay prayed up. Stay prayed up. Because we could do none of this without the Father. And we all know this. Can't do nothing without him. So all we got to do is stay prayed up, take care of each other the best that we can. But 
when it's time for us to come back out here, I hope that there is such an influx of need from all situations that everybody regain and recontrol all finances that were lost, all businesses that was lost, that it just rebloomed like a refreshing clean spring and coming on up with some fresh blossoms. That's what I hope for everybody, cause I'm ready. Cause I, I don't miss, I don't miss too many shows. I need to be on stage. I don't know about nobody else. I need to be on stage in front of an audience. I need, I need to talk to the people. I need to hug friends. I need to be able to reach out to those folks who I know are by themselves, who won't even answer the phone because they done got caught up in this isolation. That's what I need. I need to be able to reach out to my people. We need to celebrate birthdays that we done missed and Easter that we done missed and getting ready to come up on missing Mother's Day, all that love and connection that we just need so much. So that's why I appreciate everybody who's out here doing things creatively on videos and Facebooks and all this stuff and doing that. I really do appreciate it. And I wish I had more tech savvy so I could do some of it myself. But it is very much appreciated. And to all the healthcare workers that are out here, those people who are doing those essential jobs, doctors, nurses, and those types of things, we got y'all prayed up as well. Thank you for putting your life on the line so that we can be safe and keeping you away from your kids and all that stuff. And teachers, Oh my Lord, because I'm also a teacher as well. I teach adults with special needs and I know my students are going crazy, being locked up and away from people. Just let them know I love them and I miss them and I can't wait for us to get back together. But we got to stay together. That's the key thing, is staying together. And don't believe everything that you hear on the internet about Corona. No, do not believe everything you hear because lots and lots and lots and lots of lies out there. I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for asking me. I really do appreciate it. You've been an excellent host. I appreciate the thoughtful questions that you asked. And like I said, I hope I didn't offend anybody. And if so, send it to me. Don't send it to Adrian. Um, cause he ain't had nothing to do with it. <laughs> well, I think you're fine. Thank you for coming, uh, Miss Angie. Okay. Um, but real quick, real quick, two two real quick questions, real quick. Um, before we wrap this up, number one, number one, this is for me and anybody mm-hmm. else with good sense who um loves August Wilson. In your watch, people, she's about to give me some good advice. In your expert opinion, I am. Mm-hmm. I'm currently reading. I'm currently reading Seven Guitars and the Piano Lesson. Piano Lesson. I'm learning Boy Willie. Mm. Seven Guitars. I'm thinking about learning Crane Will. What do you think? Crane Will. Crane Will. Okay, cause I'm thinking I Kane need to learn something age appropriate. Okay. Yeah, he is. And that's why I said that. See, Kane you thought was going to do what you could do. No, you need that because that's going to help you grow. Mm-hmm. All right, so Kane well it is. Long. So I'm about to begin. So I'm about to further find ways to piss off Vera. Yep. That's what you need to work on. 
All right. And second question. And second question, Miss uh, Angie, if people want to contact you to tell you how they, <laughs> how much they saw you perform and thought as Mookie and, or mm-hmm. in, or my rainy well, they can and thought it was great. Facebook page S C R A P. Excuse me, I'm sorry. S C R A P E M E T T L E. That's um Scrap Metal Entertainment on Facebook and ScrapMetal.net. Same spelling. You can go check out our website, see things that we've done with Scrap Metal Blueprints, which is our kids' department, where you'll be able to see how we brought all these beautiful children from Africa over here, and we had a great program with them. So please go and check that out. Please make sure you guys give my boo, Karen Mubart, and my business partner, my best friend, make sure y'all give her a shout out, because without her, there would be no Scrap Metal. This is a thing that we have done together. And um, I just want to say again, Adrian, thank you so much. And um, if you want to talk to me direct, uh, you can either email um, at um, Scrap Metal uh, website, or if you would like to give me a call, give me a call at 336-253-1238. Now, I'm an old lady, so send me a text first so that I know that you calling me about business and then I answer your phone. Otherwise, I'm going to ignore you because I don't like robots. But Miss Angie, love you. <laughs> you know, if you're old, if you're old, then I'm a whale. And also, and also, if you want to contact me, my email is adq queen 4 number 4 christ at gmail.com, adq 4 christ at gmail.com. Uh, my Instagram, Dion Chocolate Guy 85. My uh, Twitter, at Avenue ADQ underscore 85. And Facebook, my full government name, Adrian Dion Quarles, A D R I A N D I O N. Q U A R L E S. You You're go in there, you you'll see me tell Miss Angie how much her cowboy suck. I'm sorry, I had to throw that in there. Just know that. I'm going to get you. I'm going to jack you right on up in the corner. <laughs> Love you too, baby. Bye, honey. Love you, Miss Angie. <laughs>